0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hey there, Bible Center Church, it's good to have you back. Welcome back. Those of you who are joining us in person, those of you who are joining us on TV or online, it's so good to have you with us as well. If you're new, I'm Matt, I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down front, uh, right out when the service is over, answer any questions you may have, I'll pray with you. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. I wanna open today with a story about how I use technology incorrectly. Or maybe I should say how technology allowed it to affect my heart in a way that it shouldn't. So my son and I love to play Fortnite. I've talked about that a few times. If you're not sure what Fortnite is, it is a massive online multiplayer video game. I like to tell moms who are skeptical about Fortnite that it's a lot like a paintball only digital, right? So there's no blood, there's no guts, there's no gore, which is why I like it. Uh, Everybody is a hologram and whenever you get shot, you technically just get deleted, right? So that's my justification when I'm looking in the eyes of a mom about why I let my son play Fortnite. Anyway, uh, so I love to play Fortnite with him and we have this set up upstairs. We have two TVs, two Xboxes, two different accounts and uh, don't judge me, but we, we set kind of perpendicular, almost back to back, And uh, we try to play, if not every day, at least every other day. We have a lot of fun. And I found it's a great opportunity to talk with him. Boys, I'm finding, don't really like to talk face-to-face. They like to talk kind of like side-to-side. And so we can play for a long time and have great conversations. He thankfully allows me to play with his friends. He has a couple of friends, a number of friends who play, but there are two that I seem to play with mostly. One of them is a kid named John, and I love playing with John because John has an Alexa and John, in the course of playing, John will say something like this. Alexa, give us a battle song. And out of the blue, like over Cadence TV, over my TV, this uh, battle song starts. I still haven't figured out how Beyonce equates to battle song, but anyway. So we have a lot of fun. Uh, there's another kid we play with named Noah. Noah is Mary Beth Malcolm's son who plays and leads a lot here on the platform. And I love Noah. Now, Noah has such a tender heart. He knows I really stink at Fortnite. He knows I stink. And so Noah, like, well, give me supplies and give me extra bullets and give me health. And he's like, let's wait up for Pastor Matt. I love love playing with Noah, right? So four different TVs, three different houses, four of us are playing together, having a good time. One night I was playing after Caden had gone to bed because I was trying to get better I'm just afraid that one day he's going to get to that age where he doesn't want to play with dad anymore because dad stinks. And so I'm trying to make sure that I can like hold my own. So I was snuck upstairs and was playing and thinking nobody would know, you know, because it's kind of cheesy for a 41-year-old man to be playing Fortnite. Some of you are like, no, not really. But anyway, so I'm playing by myself. And I didn't know that Caden's friends, who hadn't yet gone to bed, could see me playing online. Right? And so I'm playing, and all of a sudden, over one of the speaker of my TV, it says, Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt. It was Noah. He knew I was playing, and he wanted to connect. So anyway, here recently, we had finished dinner. Caden had finished his homework, and we went upstairs to play for about an hour before it was time to start getting ready for bed. And, and so as we're playing, again, he's at his TV. I'm at my TV I'm running across the field, and I'm really trying, I mean, really want to be good at this. It's so hard, the complexities of life. So I'm running across the field. This guy, out of nowhere, has a pump shotgun, shoots me from behind a tree, and I die. Okay, actually, I get deleted, right? I get deleted. And and so it totally frustrated me, because out of nowhere, one shot, he got me. And out of my heart came a word that should not come out of a Christian's heart or a mouth. I'm, no, don't judge me, but I'm not going to tell you what the word is, because some of you might say that's not a cuss word. Others of you might say, I can't believe you would say that in front of your son. E- either way, I knew as soon as I said it that I shouldn't have said it, and I look over at Caden to see if he heard me. His eyes were like this big. Dad! And I, I first thought for a minute, well, maybe I can like, get my way out of it. There was no getting out of it. I was like, buddy, I'm sorry. He goes, you need to sit there and think about what you said. You take a timeout from Fortnite, and I'll tell you when you can play again. So what did I do? 41 years of age, father of three, husband for 21 years. What did I do? I took a timeout, and I sat there, and I thought about what I did. And I waited till he could tell me to play again. Eventually, he did let me play again. And just so you know, I repented to the Lord and repented to my son, That's a kind of a benign example of how technology can somehow affect us negatively. But let's face it, technology has both positive and negative effects on us. There's blessings and there's cursings to using technology. And so what I want to do today is I want to rise above the typical sermon you might hear on technology. My goal today is not to tell you how much screen time you or your children should have. That's a whole other message or a whole other lesson. Uh, My goal today is not primarily to talk about what you should or shouldn't say when you're playing Fortnite with your son, right? But my goal today is for us to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things and that we would bring all of our gadgets and all of our electronics and all of our, our digital world under the supremacy of Christ. And we would begin to ask ourselves, am I living for his glory, or not. That's my goal for today's message. So let's go ahead and dive in. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, right there at the beginning of the message, we see how the gospel applies for salvation and for transformation. Almost all of the messages here at Bible Center Church are primarily to believers. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the church is called to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And we, the church, go out the other six days a week, and we lead people to Christ, and we share the gospel. So the church gathering for 2,000 years has been primarily for Christians. However, you know this, if you've been in our church for any length of time, every Sunday, I wanna introduce you to the gospel if you're not yet a follower of Christ. If you're here and you're someone's guest, you're our guest, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, our goal for you today isn't a list of do's and don'ts. Our goal for you today is to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Jesus lives and he says, whoever calls on my name, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The invitation for you isn't to join the church, isn't to get baptized. The invitation to you is to trust Christ. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I pray right now in your heart, you will believe the gospel and be saved. But the gospel is also for transformation. He says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are for his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Here's today's big idea. We boil down to the entire message to this. Technology is a gift from God when used within the guardrails of grace. Technology is a gift from God when used within the guardrails of grace. So, does the Bible ever address technology? If you were to look in a Bible dictionary for the word digital, you would come up empty. If you were to look in a Bible dictionary for the word smartphone, you would come up empty. However, Scripture does speak to how we are to live in this world. And like all things, it's not complete embrace, and it's not to be complete withdrawal. Technology is a gift from God when used within the guardrails of grace. Think about all the different examples of technology in the Bible. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, we see the elements of technology being created. God created them and said they are good. By the end of chapter 1, he calls men and women to take dominion, to take the elements that he created and to make them, craft them, into things, to take dominion over the earth. By Genesis chapter four and verse two, God has already called humanity to create farming tools. By Genesis 4.22, he's already taught humanity how to make musical instruments. In Exodus chapter 31, God gives uh, these people coming out of Egypt uh, incredible ability through technology to make the tabernacle and then later the temple. I'm convinced, or when I get to heaven, I want to ask what kind of technology Adam and Eve and Enoch might have had. What kind of technology did Noah have to create the ark, to make the ark that he used? I think these folks were a lot smarter than what we give them credit for. But technology is a gift from God when used within the guardrails of grace. If you go to Israel with us next year, you'll get to see this tunnel This tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, built underneath the city of Jerusalem. It was built seven or 800 years before Jesus by King Hezekiah, and its purpose was to bring water into the city. And so if you've got a fortified city, the way to bring water into that city is to find a spring. If you don't have water in the city, you find a spring outside the walls, and you dig a tunnel under the wall into your city, which is exactly what Hezekiah did. This particular tunnel is over five football fields long, and it was hand-carved through solid rock. Now, I realize not everyone wants to walk through a tunnel like this. If you're claustrophobic, we won't make you go through it. Uh, But for those of us that want to enjoy it, it it is a blast to go through and just imagine. The inscription at the one side of the tunnel says that they carved it from two sides, and they met in the middle. And when you get to the middle, you actually see how it is just several inches off. Only several inches off. Now, there's different theories on how they did that. Some think that it's complex geometry, which is actually my theory. Uh, I think that theory holds water. Another theory is that they use sound through the rock, you know, trying to figure out exactly where the other one was, all kinds of, all kinds of theories. But technology is certainly in the Scriptures. Technology is a gift from God. When used within the guardrails of grace. Let's think about guardrails for a moment, how guardrails protect us. And so, Sarah, when she was a senior in high school, I remember her getting in a a car wreck on the turnpike, coming back from Rainell, coming back from a ball game. And if there hadn't been guardrails, she probably wouldn't be with us today. Uh, There was a piece of equipment on the road. It had been raining. She tried to dodge the equipment and kind of did like a pinball machine between the guardrails. But again, had it not been for that, she would have gone over the cliff or over the embankment where she was and probably wouldn't be here today. Guardrails are good. They protect us in areas where we're vulnerable. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is give you five guardrails that will help you and help me in a digital world. Let me jump into the first guardrail. Number one, lead your family to use technology to love and remember God, not to forget God. Technology can be used to help us love God more. For instance, technology is used for us to enjoy the music we get to enjoy. There was a lot of technology used up here on the platform. Some of you like to write music. You, it requires technology. Our shut-ins are able to watch on TV and watch online. Our services because we have technology. Some of us like to listen to the Bible or listen to books or podcasts through technology. I'm learning that I'm an auditory learner. I can listen to God's word over and over again and retain so much more than when I just simply try to read it. And some of you may find yourself uh, being in that condition. However, may we never allow technology to become a distraction from loving God. Remember Hezekiah's water tunnel I referenced a moment ago. Well, God actually mentions that same tunnel in Isaiah twenty-two eleven. Notice what God says. Verse 11, you built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. That's what we just showed you a picture of. But you did not look to the one who made it, talking about the water, or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. God says, I put that spring there for a purpose. I put that mountain there for a purpose. And yes, you have great technology, but have you forgotten me? What would Isaiah say to us today? If any aspect of technology is causing your heart to be distracted from the Lord, cut it out of your life. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter into heaven with one hand than to have two hands to go into hell fire. If we apply that to technology, there is no technology more important than your relationship with God. And there's no technology more important than your eternal soul. Lead your family to use technology to love and remember God. Number two, a second guardrail. Lead your family to use technology to love and connect with others, not to isolate yourself from others. Use it to love and connect with others, not to isolate yourself from others. Think about how technology helps us connect with the people that we love. Right? Think about cell phones. Some of you remember your first cell phone. Anybody have a bag phone? Are there anybody in here? Anybody here remember the old bag phones? OK, a lot of you had a bag phone. I remember the first time I saw a bag phone. I was at a family reunion in Clay County, West Virginia, and one of my dad's cousins brought a bag phone. We thought he was hot stuff, man. I can still remember taking my hands as a kid and like going around the phone, like, surely there's some kind of hidden cord right? We were primitive in those days, but he had this huge bag phone. It looked like he was going to call it an airstrike in Clay County. It was huge. Another one of my friends who, who we called the rich friend, he had a car phone, and you could call on my friend's car phone, but you had to talk less than 60 seconds, because if you talk more than 60 seconds, he got charged, and so like you could call your girlfriend for 59 seconds and had to get off, and then you had to call again, right, every 59 seconds, Believe it or not, that was the world we lived in. But thankfully, technology connects us in a lot of ways. Some of you grandparents are able to connect with your grandchildren through technology. Even social media is a gift in many ways. It allows us to connect with people through the week, find out how others are going, pray for one another, to have good debate and discussion. Those are beautiful things. If you're looking for a strategy for your social media, Jesus gave us one. About 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed, he goes on to say, the rest of the verse Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. For those of us who have social media, here's a a good set of questions. These are in your notes, but things you can ask yourself Do I use social media only to brag on myself or to brag on others? Do I use social media to only share my happy days? Or am I ever vulnerable about my not-so-happy days? Am I known for responding gently or aggressively? Do I exude emotional and mental stability? Or does my feed reveal an unstable person? On social media, am I a pot stirrer or a peacemaker? Do I reflect Jesus or do I reflect being a jerk? These are great questions For us to evaluate and ask. Some of you are maybe are thinking about how you can use technology uh, to bring your family together. Again, this message is not for how you can somehow run away from technology, sell your cars, go riding horse and buggies. That's not my purpose. But here's some examples that uh, may help you of how you can bring your family together with technology. First, if you're going to watch TV, try watching TV with somebody else. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch TV by yourself, but just try. Invite somebody to watch TV with you. If you're going to play video games, try to invite somebody to play with you. If you're going to do video chat, uh, think about video chatting with family and friends who may enjoy seeing your face. Have family game nights and take turns choosing the game. Help your kids find apps about things they're, they're passionate about. Have a basket, perhaps, to put the devices in at the dinner table so you're not tempted. Try going to a restaurant and ask the family to see how long everyone can go without touching their phones. Have times when you turn everything off. Maybe it's a day a week, or maybe it's a vacation. When my girls were little, they used to say, No phones, no texts. No no phones, no pewters, no texts, no shaving. Pewters was when they were real little, that's what they called computers. Dad, no phone, no pewters, no texts, no shaving. You're like, why no shaving? Because evidently for little girls, for dad to shave, I guess it just took an eternity, right? When they wanted to go somewhere. So whatever that looks like for you, try it and see what kind of unity that brings to your family. Imagine what God can do if we took this to heart. Guardrail number three. Guardrail number three. Lead your family to use technology to build character and virtue, not to trigger temptation or activate anxiety. Ask the Lord to help you lead them towards character and virtue. Now, there's a number of character traits mentioned in the scriptures. There's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, discipline. Against such, there's no law. There's other virtues, like in 2 Peter, virtues like knowledge, uh, perseverance, virtues like courage. So God invites us to be people of courage. Technology itself is all moral. Plastic and glass are all moral. Nanomaterials are all moral. However, technology, these elements, can be used for good or for harm. Let's think about men and boys for a moment. I realize it's not exclusive to men and boys in our world anymore. But men and boys primarily are susceptible to the temptations regarding the lust of the eyes. I read this week that 30% of all internet traffic is related to pornography. 30% of all traffic. It makes sex look easy. It objectifies the human body. An astonishing 62% of teenagers say that they've received a nude image on their phone. And 40% of teens say they have sent one. What's even more scary is that our phones or the sites we visit now track us. You ever been talking about something and all of a sudden it shows up on your phone like an ad? Like, for instance, like, hey, uh, let's talk about the Greenbrier, the Greenbrier, the Greenbrier. Then all of a sudden, like, the Greenbrier ad shows up on your phone. That's just flat out spooky, right? But it's not just what we say, but it's where we scroll, it's where we stop on, the pictures we stop on, the ads we read, the videos we watch. All that gets put into an algorithm, and their goal is to feed us, shovel us more of what we like so that we'll just keep going down that rabbit hole. This past week, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. It's entitled How TikTok Serves Up Sex and Drug Videos to Minors. Think about how scary this is. The Wall Street Journal created 30 fake accounts. Now, in the fake accounts, they said that they were 13 years or younger. So they didn't pretend to be adults, they pretended to be children. They set up 30 accounts of underage, 13 years old or younger. And they, in one week, saw at least 569 videos about drug use, references to cocaine, or meth. That's one of the TikTok accounts saw over 100 videos, just one account, 100 videos recommending paid pornography sites and more. This doesn't include the videos about eating disorders or glorified alcohol experiences like drinking games. They have no way to control it. That's why if you heard of Facebook was going to come out with Instagram for kids this past week, and they put the brakes on it. Thankfully, the pressure, I think, of this Wall Street article actually caused a little bit of pressure. The reason is they cannot control it. You can put all the filters in place on your children's devices, and kids are so smart, they can still figure out a way around it. Women and girls, in particular, not exclusively... But women and girls in particular, young ladies seem susceptible to digital temptation regarding comparison, jealousy, and anxiety. The effect of social media on young women is staggering. It's leading to anxiety, exaggerated anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. These girls are seeing chiseled bodies of other women who look perfect in every way, and they can do a 1,000 sit-ups and 100 burpees in five minutes. And it's just feeding to this shame because many of them already feel guilty and ashamed of their bodies. I really appreciate what one psychologist from San Diego State University said. If you believe that R.J. Reynolds should have been more truthful about the link between smoking and lung cancer, then you should probably believe that Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat should be more upfront about links to depression among teen girls. Now we're all on the journey together. My goal was not to stand before you and pretend that my home has this figured out. We don't. But we want to. And I want to invite you to come on the journey with me. And there are several things really, really burdened my heart today. One is, if you have young men at home, if you've got young men at home, you can define that however you want. Do not let them be alone with their phone. Do not let them be alone with their phone. Don't let them go to bed with it. Don't let them take it to the bathroom. You're like, Matt, if I I approach my son about that, he's not going to like me. God didn't give you a son for him to like you. God gave you a son to raise and to raise him for the glory of Christ. If you've got young ladies at home, talk to them. Ask them what kind of effect this may be having on their anxiety. If they're spending hours before they go to bed scrolling through uh, other friends who are going to the party they didn't get invited to, other friends or, or who look better than they look or have nicer clothes than they have, talk to them about putting safeguards in their life to protect their hearts. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Snapchat can be wonderful tools for connecting with others but they can be very harmful tools if they're out of control. So I urge you, lead your family to use technology to build character and virtue, not to trigger temptation or activate anxiety. Number four, guardrail number four, lead your family to use technology to flourish in all aspects of life, not to waste what you have. How do we define flourish? Well, flourishing is much more than human happiness. Uh, Flourishing, according to uh, botany or dendrology, refers to rapidly growing or thriving trees. I just put this picture on my desktop uh, just to remind me I want God to help me flourish more than I'm flourishing. Flourishing in psychology refers to a state where people experience positive emotions, psychological and social functioning most of the time. In the Bible, flourishing refers to overall shalom, overall wholeness, to be at peace with oneself, to be at peace with others, and to be at peace with God. Psalm 1 is the psalm of flourishing. In life, flourishing is something that affects us physically and intellectually and socially and emotionally and spiritually and financially and sexually and occupationally and environmentally, even with our families flourishing is all about leading a balanced life. In other words, there's no part of us that's fighting against another part of us. Don't you want more of that? I want more of that. Technology can be great, a great way to help us flourish in many areas. Some of you, I see it on your arm, you use an Apple Watch to help you flourish physically, right? So you make sure those rings are closed every day, and if they're not closed, I see you running up and down the street you know, at midnight making sure you get that ring closed. That's a beautiful example of how technology can help you flourish. My uncle is at Cleveland Clinic right now, and uh, he's having a procedure for his heart. I'm so thankful for the technology of our local hospitals and places like Cleveland, the technology that helps us flourish. But ask yourself these questions. In what ways am I using technology to help me flourish? And in what ways could I use technology better to help me flourish? What an opportunity we have as the people of God to use the tools that God has given us to flourish. Number five, and lastly, in closing, show grace to other families who might choose to use technology differently than you do. Show grace to other families who might choose to use technology differently than you do. Now, a message like this has certain dangers to it. Maybe the Lord has already spoken to your heart about ways that you can flourish more as a family, decisions maybe you need to make, or you're going to go home and talk with your spouse and talk with your children and think through this. But the danger of a message like this, if we're not careful, is that we will then make sure that everybody else makes the same decisions that we do when it comes to technology. That's always been the danger of the church. If you go back 2,000 years to the book of Acts, what were they fighting over? They were fighting over preferential issues. right? One person would say, Look, this this is what the Lord showed me that's right for me. Therefore, it's right for you too. And they'd start fighting about it. They'd have whole church councils on this stuff. And things haven't changed, right, in in 2,000 years. This is the kind of stuff we fight over. So what I want to leave you with is, is this. The emphasis of the New Testament is our union with Christ and our unity with one another. That's the emphasis of the New Testament. Preserve that unity however the Lord leads you and your family. Romans 14 has been on my heart, and I want to read it. I want to read it to you. If you want to read along with me, Romans 14, verse 1. It won't be on the screen. It's just been burdening burden in my heart this week. Romans 14, 1 says, Except the one who is weak, whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I said, what is that about? When well, summary, they were arguing over whether or not they could eat meat, particularly meat from the, t- from the pagan markets that had been offered to idols. And so they were discussing, can you eat meat? Can you buy bologna? Can you eat a bologna sandwich from the pagan market? That's what they were debating about. We we're like, man, that sounds like crazy. Well, we have our own versions of bologna today, don't we? The things we choose to fight about, the bologna hasn't changed. It's still there. Verse three, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. In other words, it's beautiful when people have different standards within the body of Christ. I love it. I love all the different standards revealed in our church. It's beautiful. But it's dangerous when person A points at person B and says, you have to have the same standards I do. In other words, for instance, maybe person A says, it's wrong for me to have Xboxes in my home. It might be wrong for them to have Xboxes. Maybe there's some temptation. It may be wrong for person A. But that doesn't mean it's wrong for person B to have Xboxes in their home, Right? So he goes on in verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. They will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Verse 7, none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? We'll all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, so then we will all give an account of ourselves to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. If you were to ask our pastors, we have a great congregation, great congregation, love what God's doing here. The thing that takes up most of our time is not discussions on Bible doctrine. It's person A fighting with person B because they disagree over a preference that the Bible never specifies. Please stop. Please stop. Verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. We can say it this way. The kingdom of God is not a matter of Xboxes or no Xboxes. The kingdom of God is not a matter of listening to your Bible on an app or reading your Bible from a piece of paper. The kingdom of God is not a matter of going to the movies or not going to the movies. But it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort, please, every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Let me fit another word in there. Do not destroy the work of God over a digital preference. Please don't. He says in verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. If we do that, I believe we're on to something. If we can learn that, I believe the unity that this church can experience is out of this world. If we can do that, the mission to make disciples becomes the main thing. But however the Lord's spoken to you this morning, whether it be over your digital preferences or how you interact with someone else. You say, Matt, why is it so important that we take these things so seriously? It goes back to our big idea. Technology is a gift from God when used within the guardrails of grace. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.